in my life more than after last night's production to slide down that banister. I have absolutely no idea how much anybody gives. I'm not privy to the financial information, but somebody said they would give even more next week if I did it this week. So for the first time in my life, I do want someone to check and make sure there's more in there next Sunday morning. Ah, what a laugh last night. I mean, how could you not laugh? I thought this morning, how can I keep from singing now last night? How can I keep from laughing for an hour and a half? It was just a great time. And again, I appreciate all the volunteers who put so much time and energy into it. I went after the second event. I sat in the back in both of them. I went in the back and I said, dude, seriously, like I got to change my whole sermon tomorrow and talk about hell and damnation because there's no way I want to tell any jokes or any stories tomorrow morning in the message after laughing last night with you guys. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the Sabbath. And I hope after listening last Sunday morning, you thought about this day and what it is that you do this day in maybe a little bit of a different light. I I hope also you thought about what I do for the weekend and how I look forward to the weekend and why I look forward to the weekend based on what we shared last Sunday morning. Talked last Sunday morning about a, a balance that all of us have probably at one point or the other either grown up in or have seen at one point or the other, and that is many who observe the Sabbath or Sunday as a legalistic set of rules and others who saw it as just another day. Sunday was never meant to be an I'm not allowed to day or and I have to go to church all day. Or at the same time, was it ever designed to be a day where I get caught up on all the other things that I didn't get done in the other six? It was a day for the three R's, to rest, realign my priorities, and remember God's amazing grace. And whether you do it on Saturday or Sunday or or any of those things, somebody said to me after the first service last Sunday morning, am I not allowed then to work? I mean, my job requires that I show up on on, on Sunday, and I, I get that, so, so does mine. Now, I know you're all sitting there, well, you only work one day a week. Believe me, I've heard them all. If you're a, a nurse or a doctor and you're on call today, I hope you show up. It's not an issue of whether or not I work because my job requires that. If you can get off, great. The issue is, what do I do with this gift that God has given us? Every day, every week, where I stop once a week and I rest, I reflect, I realign all that God has given me and I prioritize and make sure that my life's living according to his plan and according to his will. They're all gifts, every single one of these things. This morning I want to switch gears for a moment. You look, you obviously have seen Exodus chapter 20. You've been going down through the list of them and how they go, and you assume I'm going to go in order, and I'm sure you would as well. I want to bypass honor your father and mother this morning and save that since we're so close to Mother's Day. I want to save that one out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, for Mother's Day since we're so close. I want to move ahead to the very next one this morning. Of all mornings after last night, thou shalt not kill. I do find it intriguing, though, that this command, thou shalt not kill, comes in between honor your father and your mother and don't commit adultery. When I first came to this one, do not kill, I had a number of thoughts that ran through my mind. I said even last Sunday morning at the end of the message, finally one I can keep. One that I know I I don't have to repent of. I've never participated in that. I I don't have to change my way of thinking. I have no intention or no desire to kill anyone. We all feel like we can relax on that one. 
I mean, if we're not careful, we can even as a church feel a little bit self-righteous. There aren't any murderers among us here at CAC. If there are, we'd really like you to identify yourself so that we can give you some space. And if for whatever means anybody's sitting in your seat, move. I never want to be flippant about life and death, though. We live in a society where life and death experiences happen every single day. Every night when I watch the news, there are more stories after story after story of someone taking someone else's life. And innocent lives are snuffed out every day. And families, because of that, find their lives have changed forever. My favorite aunt was killed by a jealous neighbor when we were kids. She died in my dad's arms. And those three kids that she's had, their lives have changed forever because of that. When I looked at this one, thou shalt not kill, I thought about the issue of war. What about the issue of self-defense? I believe in that one as well. What do we do about capital punishment, especially when I believe there are just causes for all three of those? But as I began to research this further, I found that in Hebrew, the phrase rendered Thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder in NIV, if that's what you have this morning. In Hebrew, it goes this way. You shall not take without just cause the life of the innocent. You shall not take without just cause the life of the innocent. Then I understand that makes sense. Now, once I hear that definition, you shall not take without just cause the life of the innocent, one of the next things that comes to my mind is why the church is so against abortion. probably seen advertised, maybe you've seen them yourself, especially if you're pregnant or know someone close in your family that are pregnant when they see the 3D. I don't know if any of you have seen that yet. I mean, it absolutely is stunning imagery of being able to see that. When my daughter was about to ready to uh, adopt their second child, the, the mom sent them one of those 3D images of, of Isaac, and, and I was stunned at the clarity of what I could see. Carrie Muir, who runs a crisis pregnancy center that we have participated with with the baby bottles a couple years ago, says that she, again, cannot ever get over in her mind how a gal can see that and walk out unchanged. When we understand that thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder means really to take the life of the innocent, we understand why the church is so against abortion. I've told you before that I've had the privilege of being a chaplain for the Pennsylvania State Police, and they have a, a couple of gatherings throughout the year, and then one per year where they come together with all the chaplains in the entire state of Pennsylvania. It happened to be this week. This week's discussion was on mass disasters, and when it was all said and done, they took us out to Flight 93, which was in Pennsylvania the largest disaster we had. In that particular context, we had the opportunity to go behind the scenes and then Spent 45 minutes with a coroner, the Somerset County coroner, who was actually the first one responsible for the entire scene. And all of a sudden, that little town of, of Soystown and, and, and Shanksville that had just a few people in it became a, a, a circus of 2,500 people from the FBI and the NSGBA and Homeland Security. And the list was endless of people that just gathered on that town and listening to him talk about that horrific event and what it was like to have those 40 people's lives changed forever. And to see that and, and to be a part of that was, was really a, a, a horrific moment in American history. And listening to that again now almost 11 years 
beyond that, it reminded us again of how valuable and precious life is. And then I couldn't help but walk away from that to know that over 3,700 babies are aborted every day in Pennsylvania or in the United States, and very few people ever say a word. And I was reminded again, knowing that I was putting this together for this particular weekend of the sanctity of life. When you look at this command, thou shalt not kill, one of the things that you have to remember is that God is not giving this command to criminals. We want them to obey that, but he's not giving these commands to criminals, but people who are considered children of God. It was to people who consider themselves to be children of God that Jesus addressed on this very subject in Matthew chapter 5. And this morning I want you to turn there with me for a moment. You will find that there are a number of commands that Jesus addressed. This one, one of the ones we'll talk about next Sunday morning, as he began his ministry here on earth. Very early at the outstage of his ministry in Matthew chapter 5 is what you may know as a, in the context of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus addressed this very command in Matthew 5 and said these words. You've heard it said by people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders is subject to judgment. Everybody who's listening to that saying, of course. You've got to have law and justice. And then he continues in verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool shall be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, if you're sitting there that day hearing this for the very first time, and you've known the commandments all of your life, and your father and your grandfather and your father's grandfather passed down to you the Ten Commandments because you were a good Jewish boy, and you heard all of these, you're familiar with thou shalt not kill. And then you sit there and listen to Jesus add this next phrase, and you have to say to yourself, he's got to be kidding. I mean, every preacher does the dramatic to try to get your attention. Certainly, that's what he's saying. It's not. I mean, calling someone a fool worse than murder, you've got to be kidding. But apparently, and very uncomfortably, murder or killing hits much more closer to home than anyone would have thought. For while murder may not be on my hands, it may be living in my heart. And at times, if not careful, could proceed from my mouth. Jesus, in this text, gives us three primary ingredients for murder. Rage, malice, which is behind the word raka, and contempt, which is behind the phrase, you fool. You mix those ingredients together and you have murder. Maybe not always with a body bag. Because you know and I know that you can not only kill with a knife, a club, or a gun, you can also kill with words. Sometimes even a look dripping with hate and anger stored up for years. The Proverbs writer said, the tongue has the power to give life and what? Bring death. And some of you have been a recipient of that kind of explosive anger that seems to come out of nowhere. Maybe it came from the lips of someone close to you. Maybe, if you're really honest, your own, where all of a sudden rage wells up inside of you and you explode. Some of you may have experienced what we very clearly know as road rage, complete with sign language for the hearing impaired. Ever been a part of that? 
It takes a while to get across them. Maybe it's happened to you, and maybe you felt this rush of emotion go through your mind when someone pulls out in front of you, and, of course, that rush of emotion is love, right? Probably not. You may have felt the anger, maybe even the rage. Maybe it wasn't on the highway. Maybe it was in the dog, ate a hole in your couch. Maybe it was at work, and you find yourself so angry and frustrated with so-and-so. Maybe it was at home, and your kids do something, and maybe the thing they did wasn't really that bad. But what they did triggered this vast supply of anger that many people carry around with them every day. And in the wake of this release, someone gets destroyed. Hopefully, you'll never kill anyone. But if we're honest and we honestly assess some of the stuff inside of us every once in a while, we can see one or two, maybe a few of the ingredients that Jesus talks about here in regards to anger and rage and malice and contempt. And if left unchecked and uncontrolled by the Spirit of God, may mix together at just the wrong moment and like chemicals in a lab class when you pour things together that all of a sudden explodes. Someone standing in the way catches the fallout. Could be a coworker. Could be a dad or a mom or a wife or a husband. Could be your kids. Because that's like there's more than one way to kill someone with a club, a knife, a gun, or a car. You can do it with words. Perfectly timed, drenched with sarcasm, full of content, driven by malice, drawn from a deep well of stored up anger. We're going to explore in a couple of weeks the parent-child relationship, but consider the power of a parent on a rebellious child who, with words, can kill the relationship and kill the spirit. Now, I need to point out, it's not discipline or saying no to your children that wounds them, even though when you say no, you, they act like you just destroyed their lives. Boundaries, consequences, confrontation, and discipline will not kill your children. Some parents need to discipline more. I hear times when I've been in settings, even in church, when I hear someone say, no, honey, you shouldn't hit your brother like that. Sweetheart, you shouldn't kick him like that. Sweetheart, sit down. Honey, don't. And I want to say seriously. <laughs> don't you? Seriously. Anybody every once in a while want to say to a parent, okay, come on. I hear one more, honey, don't do, don't hit him like that. Discipline. That's what they need. Correct discipline and boundaries will not hurt them at all. But contempt can. And so can malice and so can rage. It comes pouring out when they spill the milk or scratch the car or interrupt our plans or our TV show. We don't have to say the word raka or full. It's, see, it's not about the words. It's about the stuff inside that sometimes wells up and spills out and spills over and really hurts. Dallas Willard said, contempt is a greater evil than anger. For unlike anger, contempt degrades. You can be angry at someone and still value them. But contempt is a knife in the heart that mutilates the soul whose wounds go so deep person feels like they really just want to die. There are physical murders every day. World News Tonight and our TV is full of them. Every day we see what's happening in the Middle East and Afghanistan and Africa and big cities and dark alleys. But there are also killings on streets in the suburbs with finely manicured lawns. 
For malice and contempt kill the human spirit every day. There's a Jewish tradition that teaches that embarrassing anyone in public is a sin. When people get embarrassed, they turn red. When it turns to shame, they turn white. In embarrassment, blood rushes to the face. In shame, blood leaves. So in their mind, it's comparable to the shedding of blood. Dr. Laura Schlesinger says this about gossip, referring to her context of listening about Ten Commandments. This, gossip is behind the back while embarrassment is in front of the person. Gossip can be compared to burglary while embarrassment can be compared to armed robbery. The words can kill like bullets aimed at the heart. Many of us have been in a position where having the earth swallow us whole would seem a more welcome experience than shame and humiliation fell at the hands of another person through public embarrassment. I've seen it happen to kids. I've seen it happen to husbands. I've seen it happen to a lot of wives. I've seen it happen to employers. Gossip is another way to murder someone suburban style, to assassinate a person's character with words. Dear Abby, in 1992, the Chicago Tribune said, My name is Gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I'm cunning, I'm malicious, I gather strength with age. The more I'm quoted, the more I'm believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because there is no name and I have no face. To track me down sometimes is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I'm nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it's never the same again. I can topple governments and wreck marriages. I can ruin careers, cause sleepless nights, heartaches, and indigestion. I make the innocent people cry in their pillows. My name even hisses. I'm called gossip. I make headlines and headaches. Before you repeat a story, she says, ask yourself, is it true? Is it harmless? Is it necessary? And if it isn't, don't repeat it. Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 6, there are six things God hates. Seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. I've seen it happen to really good people. I've seen it happen to really good pastors. I've seen it happen to really good churches. Where people say things about a church or a particular pastor or a particular individual, and, and, and then it's communicated, and you know and I know we've all been a part of that little kid thing we all did when we were kids or at a youth group event where you started one thing one way and you whispered it to the next one and to the next one and to the next one. And by the time it got down here to this end, it was vastly different from where it started. We've all done that. Every one of us have done that even in repeating any story. Once it's repeated, the inflection changes, the tone changes. Sometimes the words even change. It didn't mean that. It just does. I've shared stories. We've all had, especially as pastors, war stories of, of prayer chains. Especially the old days where the prayer chain was passed on everything from one person to the next. Now we do it via email and makes it a little bit easier. But I had a little boy who wrecked his bicycle in Cottersport, and by the time that it got to the end of the prayer chain, they had just pulled the plug on the life support. And I'm going, what changed in the process somewhere along the way? We've all seen it in somebody's life where one thing was just said, maybe in an innocent way, and then all of a sudden as it began to get communicated down the line, Somebody's life really got hurt, and somebody's story got changed, and somebody's world got turned upside down. We've certainly seen it with churches. You know what people say about us in the community? 
there are people that say about us that we're a cult. Have you heard that one? Yeah, I've had people tell me that. I've had people say, well, you know, they, they, you know how they, you know how they get such a big crowd. They just, it's the entertainment, man. They, they get a big crowd. They entertain them with music. Everybody loves the music. It's different and and all that, and that's how they get them. I've heard it said about us, we're we're uh, what's it, what what uh, my, um, um, a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, those kind of watered down theology, and 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 maybe we've said it about other churches. Do a leadership forum on a number of bases, and one of the things we talk about is how, in, in Joshua's case, he was shadowing Moses, and God's spirit landed on a number of the elders in Moses' day, and there were two that, for whatever reason, Joshua didn't think they should have the spirit of God like everyone else did, and he goes to Moses, and he said, look, these two guys are prophesying, and they're not like us, and, and Moses said, wouldn't it be great if all of us prophesied like None of us have the corner on, on God. There's not a church in town that has a corner on God. And we've all heard the stories. We've all heard the jokes. We go to heaven, and you've got to be really quiet in this section because Presbyterians are over there, and they think they're only ones in heaven. And it depends on who we're telling the story about that we've all changed to the Baptists and the Methodists and the Alliance, and the story goes. One of my favorite pastors in town is Dave Panther. And Dave and I get along good. We're one of those two guys that have, been in this community for a long period of time. I've been almost 17 years, Dave over 20, and it's cool to be that. We've been friends. We've talked a lot and shared a lot. And, and a few weeks ago, uh, people from Crossfire was here in our church and were helping us with the sound system a little bit. And Dave said, you know what would be really funny? Wire the system up so that when Denny goes to speak, it's my voice coming through. <laughs> that would really be funny. I thought, well, I like Dave. I'm going to do something funny to him. So has any of you driven up Mercer? You've seen the sign down there that says, a really good church? I guess what I did. Okay, I thought that was funny. And I know Bob always says, to you. Dave thought it was so funny, he showed it on Easter Sunday morning <laughs> in all five of his church's services. I thought, okay, seriously, dude, if I know you did that, then I've got to show it some Sunday. But you know what could have happened with that? Yeah, absolutely. Somebody could have said, well, oh, dude, Danny Kreisig is really slamming our church. And it could have hurt Dave, could have hurt me. Could have hurt us, could have hurt them. But never the intention. Sometimes we, it's the way we say it or how we respond. We've all seen it happen to people, happen to individuals, happen to great churches and really good pastors who ended up having to leave because of someone else's words. James chapter 3 said, The tongue is set on fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body had corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. It's on in verse 8 to say the tongue is set on fire by hell and is full of deadly poison, and you know and I know that deadly poison can kill. You see, there's more than one way to kill. One of the things this command does is it reveals the heart of God for his creation, people, and how God loves and desires to protect them. People matter to God. 
You and I have been made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 2 says God breathed life into us. And murder strikes at that image. You can never underestimate the value or worth of people. Especially when you read John 16. That God so loved the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, every background, every ethnic diversity. God so loved the world that he gave his son for all humanity. Not just for believers or those that would believe. God so loved the world for all of humanity that he gave his one and only son. This command not only is a prohibition against killing, it's also a call to love. Jesus wraps up the Ten Commandments in two simple phrases. Love God with every fiber of your being, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And what? Love people like you love yourself. You see, if I love people, I'd never want to hurt them or put them down or humiliate them or destroy them with words. If I really love people as God loves them and wants me to love them, and if, and if I were white, living in civil rights days, I'd have never put down African Americans. I'd have done everything I could to lift them up. Today, it's those of Middle Eastern descent or Asian descent. and Sometimes we get so closed-minded and, and, and so obvious on what a few very wicked people have done that we look of all people from different descents and, and different ethnic backgrounds through the grid of what a few wicked ones have done. Now, I, I've got to be really honest in how I treat people when I look at this command, and I, especially when I look at the way Jesus addressed the issue. And I need to be really honest about how I talk about them, especially when I'm a child of God. I, I need to recognize how valuable people are to God. I may need to confront. I may need to challenge. I may need to discipline. In light of what Jesus says about this particular commandment, I never want to find myself in a position where I destroy someone with words or humiliate them or put them down, not if I'm acting out of love. Now, in light of this command, I go back to what I said at the very beginning. Okay, maybe it's not a, man, a command that I can keep so easily and readily. Maybe it is one that I would have never thought of before because I have no intentions of killing anyone, but... Now I need to be honest about it, maybe even repent of it. And there are others in, in this room that may simply need healing because they've been the recipient of someone else's anger and rage and malice and contempt. We have seen the Ten Commandments as so restrictive when they're God's gift talk even more about that next Sunday morning. But there was a purpose for these, for a number of reasons. Four that I want to share with you as we close. One is that it, it does reveal sin. You see, maybe I've never killed anyone, but this morning I began to realize that sometimes my anger and contempt, even though it may not be in my hand, could still be in my heart. And I've got to be honest about that. The second purpose of the law was always to bring brokenness. To realize that I, I can't get rid of these attitudes on my own. 
And if that stuff that sometimes wells up inside that all of us have because we're all emotionally wired and emotionally driven, if all of those emotions aren't controlled by the Spirit of God, they can get out of hand. And so it reminds me of how desperately I need Jesus, which is the third purpose. To always drive us to Christ. To recognize that we can only be justified by faith, not our performance of the law, but only by faith and our confidence in him and what he has provided for us. The fourth purpose of the law was always to drive us to our knees and to Jesus, who, who was always desiring to call us out, which is the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, to always call us out to live a life every day with kingdom values in mind with recognize that he calls us to a life of love and a life that sees the value of people and a life that sees all of humanity through God's eyes. In their desperation, in their despicableness, and in, in their grace. To see people as God sees them and to trust them with his love. And then want to display it. So I go back to the beginning. Killed anyone? Have no desire to. Now I recognize through the words of Jesus, as he always has a tendency to do and raise the bar a little bit higher, I recognize I've got to be really careful. But not only the words I choose, but the emotions that come behind them. What I say and, and what I pass along and what I do with this gift that God has given me of words and a mind and a tongue and emotions, submit them all to him. Be very careful how I say what I say and the way I say it. God loves me, but he also loves all of humanity. He wants me to love life, treat them with respect and love and grace. Are there enemies? Absolutely. How we respond to them, Jesus changes everything. Lord, this is a hard word. I can see why so many times the disciples looked at you and, and a lot of people who followed you and said, these are hard words. Not a one of us in here that want to kill anyone. And when I see the level you take it to, I recognize why people would say, this is hard. And so, Father, for those of us in this room this morning who really wrestle with how we respond and the way we react to our kids or the way we react to our circumstances, God, in the name of Jesus, continue to speak to us, continue to bring us to the point where we yield our hearts and our emotions and our, our uh, choices to the Spirit of God, who then can speak to us and through us. There are a lot here this morning that, that I want to lift up who have been the recipient of someone's words. Misunderstanding that so escalated that their life and their relationship was ruined. Or others have just grown up in environments where a dad or a mom put them down and beat them up emotionally and, and with words. And this morning reminded them of that. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, for healing and restoration to some of these broken hearts and wounded spirits. Thank you, Father, for your grace. I have no idea what we would ever do without your grace. It pulls us in and lifts us up and wraps us in your arms and reminds us of how valuable and precious we are in, in your sight. So, Lord, as we walk out of this place this morning and we process 
what we've been hearing in these commands help us to recognize they are great gifts. They're great gifts. Never intended to restrict us, but to give us life and freedom in this joy of our relationship with you. And to choose how to use this weekend well and this day of this great gift and, and how to choose really well what we do with the words that we have and vocabulary that we use and, and the way we say things. So again, I thank you so very much, Jesus, for addressing this issue and for helping us understand how precious and valuable people are. Help us to see them through your eyes. Thank you for grace. Again, in Jesus' name.